So last week, uh, we began a new series in the Gospel of John, uh, and we looked at the prologue of the book, which is found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And uh, we spent a lot of time just talking about the Jesus that John introduces us to. Like, though we often maybe think of the story of Jesus as beginning maybe at Christmas with his birth, John introduces Jesus as the creator of all things, who was and who is and who always will be, right? His story doesn't start in a manger. He's the eternal God who puts on flesh and he steps into his own creation to make himself known to us. Jesus, then, is the image of the invisible God. As Scripture says, he's the exact imprint of his nature. He's the radiance uh, of his glory. Jesus is God making himself known. Like When we see Jesus, we see God. The prologue of John is amazing. It kind of, uh, at least for me, it lifts us up into something cosmic. It feels like, like maybe having our head up amongst the stars so that we can really see their beauty. And that's amazing and it's good, but I think it's hard to stay there too long because though your head is amongst the stars, you can still uh, feel the dirt under your feet. You know what I mean? Like life is still really happening down here where we actually live. There's still everyday stuff of life going on. There's navigating of work and of school, and relationships, and friendships, and there's parenting, even like just the mundane things of like eating and drinking, and three meals a day, and how that never stops coming, you know? That's, that's a lot. It just keeps coming at us. So while it's good to stretch us in our understanding of Jesus, and it's good to maybe like have a peek into the, the heavenly nature of Jesus and be absolutely blown away by who he is, I think the question we need to ask too is, can we somehow meet, know, and follow Jesus here on earth where we live? The good news is that John says in chapter 1 verse 14, which we read last week, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This morning, we're going to continue in John's gospel, and we're going to uh, take a look at the rest of chapter 1. It's a lot of verses. It's verses 19 through 51. Uh, There's kind of a few scenes, a few days that unfold in this. But what I hope that we will see is how the Word became flesh and made himself known here on earth where we live. So if you will, you can follow along with me. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. We'll have it on the screen as well. John 1, 19 through 51. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one You do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. 
These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked as Jesus, at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come, on, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a lot going on there. John's narrative begins with these three to four scenes, depending on how you divide them up. We're going to spend most of our time this morning on this first scene, the testimony of John the Baptist. I'm going to kind of linger on verses 19 through 34 as one kind of whole, uh, but it could be divided into two scenes. Obviously, he was questioned by those uh, sent out by the Jews and the Levites from Jerusalem in the first part, and then the the next day uh, he sees Jesus and he announces him to his disciples as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he details the baptism of Jesus. And then we're also going to briefly look at the next two scenes after that. The second scene begins with John pointing uh, Jesus out to two of his own disciples uh, and who then go and follow him and get Peter, and, they, and he comes also. And then the third scene is Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. 
So first, let's just take a look at the testimony of John the Baptist. A delegation uh, from Jerusalem comes out to question John about what he is up to. Because John the Baptist has been making some noise. People are going out to him uh, to hear him speak and to be baptized. Which was something, uh, baptism was something maybe common for Gentiles to do who were being converted to Judaism. But it made very little sense uh, for Jewish people to be baptized. Unless the person was claiming to be the long-expected God-sent prophet or Elijah or the Messiah coming to deliver God's people and establish a new kingdom, then maybe it makes sense to be baptizing people into that new kingdom. But if that was the case, that also would be pretty complicated and would mean some further uh, interrogation, right? But John is quick to the punch. He's quick to this confession. Uh, In 1, 19 through 20, he says, they say, who are you? And he confessed. He did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm not your deliverer. I'm not the king. And everything he says is this confession that that what he's doing has nothing to do with himself or pointing people to himself. He's only called to point to someone else. And then John the Baptist's confession, he says, I am not the Christ, turns into a proclamation. He says, but Christ has come and he's with us. Look what he says when they question him a little bit further. Among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Essentially, he is here. I'm not him, but he is already here. He is already with us. And then the next day, as the scripture points out, John the Baptist makes a more full proclamation, pointing to Jesus in verse 29 and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, which basically is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John the Baptist actually makes this statement, um, at least the first part of it, twice. So I just want to stop here for a minute and talk about it because I know that, that we recognize this language of the Lamb of God uh, that is fairly normalized for us. Like at Christmas time, it's on Christmas cards and things like that. One of my favorite Christmas albums, Andrew Peterson, Behold the Lamb of God. Many of you know that. Uh, so perhaps it doesn't seem like very startling language to us, but it kind of is. And wh- what's more, I'm not even sure that John the Baptist fully knew the implications of the words he was saying. If we go back to the Old Testament, back to the story of the Exodus from Egypt, we might remember that it was a lamb whose blood was painted around the doors of the Hebrew people in Egypt and that delivered their firstborn sons from the plague of death. When God delivered his people from Egypt, it was with the killing of a lamb. And then if you were to go back and you think about the sacrificial system that God gave his delivered people so that he could dwell with them, right? And then later in the prophets, as Israel and her kings continually abused the sacrificial system that God gave them, and they clearly were missing the heart of it, were told multiple times about how God tired of their many sacrifices that didn't reflect the state of his people's hearts. And so I think John did understand this, And that is that the killing of lambs was never enough. They always only pointed to the one who would come and fully take away the sin of the world. Listen to this in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 3. It's a passage that pointed to the coming Messiah. It says this, 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Sounds familiar. As he was being questioned, John the Baptist used this passage to identify himself as the voice. This passage obviously had a great deal of influence on his own expectations of the Messiah, which is likely why he calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away the iniquity, who pardons the iniquity. But also, while John the Baptist understood Jesus to be the Lamb of God, the one who would deliver his people once and for all and take away sin in a way that the sacrificial lambs never could, he likely didn't expect Jesus himself to suffer like a sacrificial lamb. On the other hand, I'm sure that John, like John the writer of the Gospel of John, who's reflecting on these events and he's writing from the other side of the cross and from the resurrection, he surely realized even more fully what that really meant. Lamb sacrifices were always memorials of deliverance, forgiveness of sin, messianic salvation. And so to be announced as the Lamb of God was for John the Baptist to have really been saying, in essence, behold the sacrifice of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Messiah, and he came to die. But at the time, nobody knew that but Jesus. Nobody really fully knew that but Jesus. And I just think that's a really big deal. Like Jesus was here making himself known as the Christ, but nobody fully knew what that meant. And obviously, they didn't really have to know it yet, or else he would have made it clear. Look also at what John the Baptist says to his disciples, John 1, 32 through 34. It says, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's so much here in this whole passage. There's so many different sermons that could be preached from these passages. But one thing just like really uh, was sticking out to me as I've been preparing for today, and that's this. And it was hard to figure out how to say, so bear with me. It's just that having the other Gospels... And knowing what we know about John the Baptist and knowing what we know about Jesus, like, isn't it odd that he says he didn't know him? Like, they were cousins, right? They were cousins. Their parents both had supernatural encounters to tell them who each child was. John the Baptist would prepare the way. Jesus was God with us. I don't know what they really understood when they were younger or when they were growing up or before they started their ministry, but they did know each other. Jesus didn't just show up out of the blue. John the Baptist knew Jesus, but at some point, God tells John that he was going to see the Spirit descend on and remain on the one who he was waiting for. And then when he sees it happen, it happens to Jesus, like his cousin, 
the guy he already knew but hadn't identified as the Christ. He was right there the whole time, but he himself didn't know him. And then even after knowing, like I said, I don't think John the Baptist fully knew what Jesus would do, that he would die and rise again to accomplish the full work of taking away the sins of the world. But he had seen and he had borne witness. Jesus was the Son of God. He was the long-expected Savior. God had revealed that to him, and that was enough. Now let's look briefly at the last two scenes in this chapter. It's verses, in verses 35 through 42, here's what we see happen. It's the next day. Again, it's another day. After John the Baptist has made all this stuff known, and he's standing with two of his disciples. The disciples that he's standing with are Andrew, and then one who's not named, who's likely John, the writer of this book. Like he does this thing where he doesn't name himself. That's kind of his deal. But it, it makes sense that it's John uh, and that he was a disciple of John the Baptist. That's how he knows all this stuff so intimately. Anyway, then Jesus comes along and John the Baptist says again, Behold, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. In other, one, in other words, he's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the Christ. He's the one who we've been pre- preparing the way for, who I've been telling you about. And so these two disciples, they follow Jesus, and they, they call out to him. Or actually, Jesus notices them and says, what are you seeking? And they call him rabbi, which is interesting because John says they call him rabbi, and then he makes sure we understand what that means, uh, that he means, that means teacher. Rabbi means teacher. So they ask where he's staying, and he says back to them, come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. It's another one of these statements where they're probably just asking the thing, and Jesus was like, come and see. But John, on the other side of everything, is like, you know there's more to that, right? Come, and you will see. So they go, and they stay with, uh, with him for the day, and they get to know him. We don't really know all that they learn or what happens there, but we know what happens next. What happens next is that Andrew then, just like, goes and gets his brother Simon, and he tells him, we have found the Messiah. And John does this thing again right here. It's in parentheses, Messiah. Oh, that, that means uh, he's the Christ, right? So in a day, Andrew went from calling Jesus teacher to calling him the Messiah, the God-sent Savior of the world. And we don't really know what happened. We just know that he was with Jesus all day. And then Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, now just hang on for a minute with me. We're going to fly over to this last scene. It's verse 43 through 51. It's the next day again. This is all going to culminate next, next week. This whole like, it was this day, then it's the next day, then the next day, this is going to be like the third day this other thing happened. Uh, but it's the next day, and Jesus finds Philip, and he says, follow me. And then Philip goes and he finds Nathaniel, and he says, we found him, of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, I think he sort of thinks for himself, uh, he's not going to get his hopes up. Some of us might identify with that. He famously says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Come and see, which echoes what Jesus said to John and to Andrew. And then Jesus tells Nathaniel that he saw him by the fig tree before Philip ever called him. And we don't know what was happening at the fig tree. I'm not going to make something up for you. I have no clue what was going on with the fig tree. Uh, But it was significant for Nathaniel. And so he responds, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he responds, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. 
Like in a moment, he went from doubt to joyful proclamation of Jesus as the Christ very quickly. So something is happening over and over and over again in all of these opening scenes. We could certainly dig through it all for quite some time and find a lot of stuff. But, but look, John the Baptist, he didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God, but then God revealed it to him. God let him see what he needed to see. And then Andrew and John, uh, students of John the Baptist, saw Jesus as the teacher, but Jesus shows himself to be the Christ. Nathaniel couldn't believe the Messiah would come from the Nazareth, but Jesus like revealed something about himself that let Nathaniel in on who he really was. He was the Messiah. He was the promised king of Israel. There's this like come and see message happening. God shows John the Baptist who Jesus really was. John the Baptist points the disciples to go and see. Jesus makes the blatant invitation, come and see. And they go get Peter. And then Philip goes and gets Nathaniel to come and see. And as they all come and see, Jesus shows himself. Jesus reveals himself. He makes himself known. And what we see is that Jesus makes himself known to them and I, and I think to us, at least in part, by revealing how thoroughly he knows us. Like, just as he knows Peter when he gets there, right? He knows Peter's future, and, and he gives him a new name because he already knows who Peter will become. He knew whatever was going on at that fig tree and its significance to Nathaniel. He knew them already. And what we also see is that going from, like, knowing about the long-expected Savior to knowing him personally affects change. I love what D.A. Carson writes about it. He says this. He says, The focus is on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. He sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. I think that's so good. So last week, as we, we contemplated how Jesus is the eternal God, who created all things and is just like way beyond our comprehension. I was inviting us to let the Jesus that we meet in these pages begin to stretch us. And I think it's obvious how trying to understand a Jesus who is the eternal God can really stretch us. But maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum, like getting to know the Jesus who relates to us as we are and where we are, that can stretch us too. I think it's wonderfully telling that though we've been introduced to Jesus as the eternal God in the prologue, as we kind of start to dive into the narrative, we find that to meet and to know and follow him, it doesn't take us like peering up into the cosmos and wrapping our head completely around him. Rather, the eternal God steps into our space and time. The word puts on flesh and makes himself known by showing how he knows us and how he loves us so thoroughly. He knows us for where we have been, maybe by the fig tree. He knows us right where we are, and he knows who we will become. And he lets us get to know him just like we get to know like anybody or anything else. He lets us see him day by day. Just as this narrative like begins to unfold with one day and then the next day and then the next day. And I don't know your, your story. 
maybe, but I've been reflecting on my own, especially as we've seen so many folks baptized lately, and, I, and I've thought about my own salvation story. Like, I was just a kid when I decided to follow Jesus. I don't even know how old I was because I was too young to remember that kind of stuff. I was little. I was four, five, something like that, six. I knelt behind a chair in the living room of our rundown trailer on the outskirts of Phoenix, Arizona. And I can tell you right now, I did not know Jesus through and through. I just knew what I'd been told about him. And I think I needed him to comfort me as a kid. I needed to know that no matter what, he would be there. That's all I knew. It wasn't until much later, when I was a teenager, I found out that, that we were called into to more of like a relationship with him. And I don't know that I fully grasped what that meant, but I was willing to, yeah, that sounds good. That makes sense. So I came to see what that was about. And he just provided so much grace to me in my teenage years. And he continued to change me as I grew to know him more. And like, this is still my story. This is still how it goes. Every now and then, I look back and I realize how he has been with me and making himself known to me all along the way in new ways each day, day after day after day. He hasn't required me to like get all of him all at once for me to say that I'm his. But he continues to reveal himself in new ways. And I keep finding that knowing him is changing me. I keep finding how he's taking away my sin and how he's saving me and how he's fathering me and how he's my friend forever and always has been and always will be. And though like in the cross and the resurrection, his work is completed, it is assured, the redemption and the restoration of all things is as good as done, that's written, that's over. We've not been called to live with our head in the clouds like trying to find him. Rather, he's graciously like walking it out with us here where our feet touch the ground and the place and the time where we live. Like maybe you're not okay with not being sure you have all of who he is figured out. Maybe it scares you to be a little bit unsure of whether you have all the answers to all the questions that may come your way, whether they come from you or from somebody else. Parents, maybe it scares you to think your child might get baptized and not fully understand the gospel. Like I've talked about that recently with a few of us here, and I totally get that. Those are valid concerns that we have to take seriously. But also, John the Baptist, Andrew, Peter, John, John the writer of this book, Philip, Nathaniel, none of them knew it all. None of them knew Jesus thoroughly and knew him for all he was. But the Jesus who met them and invited them to know him was strong enough to hold them close and to lead them graciously to glorify God with all of their lives. Listen to how this passage ends. Nathanael is all in, right? After Jesus says he saw him under the fig tree. But then Jesus says this in verses 50 and 51. He says, and Jesus answered him, like, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe, I'm sorry, I say that in a little bit of like a sarcastic tone. That's how I imagine Jesus. He probably said it much more graciously. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see greater things. He says there's more to come. This isn't it. And then he directly like alludes to the story of Jacob's ladder, which is back in Genesis where angels are ascending and descending a ladder. But he says they ascend and descend on the Son of Man. That's what he's calling himself. Essentially, Jesus is saying that he is the mediator between heaven and earth. Like he opens heaven to be with us and to make himself known to us exactly where we are. And so the good news for us this morning, I believe, is likely found just in John the Baptist's confession and proclamation. I'm not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not the Savior, either of myself or of anybody else. That's an incredibly freeing confession. But he is here. That's the proclamation. But he is here, and he is with us. And though we may not know him through and through just yet and have him all figured out and our lives just haven't quite matched exactly what we know of him quite yet, he knows us, and he is with us, and he is making himself known to us. And just as, like, really seeing Jesus prompted these disciples to go get others, like, he's not only making himself known to us, but he's also making himself known through us, and he's going to finish his work in us, in us. And so I think the invitation today is, is pretty open. I think we should respond by responding to come and you will see. Come and you will see. Like, let's meet with Jesus in this moment together as we kind of move into our time of response. And we're going to worship by singing, and we're going to uh, take communion, and we're going to give our tithes and offerings, and we're going to have a time of prayer. And I just want to invite you to come and see, to come and meet Jesus in these next moments together. As we worship and as we sing, even consider the words we're seeing, hear the truth about who Jesus really is. As we give our tithes and offerings whether that's slipping out of your account, whether you're giving it in person today, take a moment to consider this. He's the eternal God. He's the giver. He's the sustainer. He's the provider. Everything has come from him. Let's meet him and like know him as that. In communion, as we come, as we do each week, and we come down the aisle and we take the bread, you can dip it in the wine or the juice, and we are remembering Jesus for who he says he is and who he really is. We're proclaiming this truth to one another, that he is here, that he is with us, that he gave his body and his blood, and that he is alive and he has given us life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're making that confession and proclamation together. And maybe spend some moments in prayer and just tell him what you know of him even from what you've heard this morning, what you see of him, and then ask him to show you more of himself. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into that time. We welcome you to come and to take communion with us. If you're a Christian, whether you're a member of Redemption or not, come and remember him. Make this proclamation with us together. Spend some time in prayer, and let's meet Jesus together. Let's pray. Our Father, how thankful we are for Jesus who makes you known to us. How thankful we are that we don't have to uh, 
try to save ourselves. We can't, we can't do it. I think one of the thoughts that stirs my heart the more, most, Lord, is the thought that you know me through and through, and not only as I am right now, and not only as I was when I was that little kid, and, but you know me as I will be in eternity. You know each of us as we will be, as we always be. You know us and relate to us from the beginning, from the foundations of the earth, as who you're making us. And that's incredible. We do not deserve that love. It speaks volumes of who you are. It tells us so much about how you know us and love us, which tells us so much more about you. God, I'm praying this morning that we would just be able to have a moment to respond by coming to see. That we turn our hearts towards you and that God, Jesus would make himself known. That the Holy Spirit would, would move in our hearts so that we would have eyes to see Jesus. That you would make us more and more like him. That you would by making us more and more like him, give us more and more uh, of a taste of the life that you've given us. That uh, through all of that, you would continue to transform us into this person that you already know we are becoming through and for eternity, God. And, and that through us, through this work you're doing in us, you'll make yourself known to others. God, as we come and see, just meet us. In Jesus' name.